Hey, everybody. Hi. It's Then Again. With Ken. And Glenn. That's us. And today we're going to take you way back in history, way back in Georgia history, way back in American history. We're using the Wayback Machine. We have so many <laughs> Wayback so machines, way machines. And you refer to a specific one, it I, confuses me. I think this time our Wayback Machine is going to be our brains. Because ah. this subject, we, we actually do a lot of work about the DeSoto expedition of the year 1540. So we've already got a lot of good stuff just packed away in our brains, ready to spill out to you (laughs) in a pleasing way. So anyway, as Glenn just mentioned moments ago, the DeSoto expedition of 1540 does pass through what is now Georgia. And this is important for our region's history because this is the first contact. You know, we make a big deal about the European and New World contact, the Columbian Exchange. Right. And this is the first time that exchange, or, you know, clubbing over the head, if you want to use another metaphor. <laughs> Tune in to see who gets clubbed over the head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's happening here in what will ultimately become the Georgia that we live in. This is the first large, large European contact with the population that lives here. And one of the things we'd like to bring out, especially in our school programs here and our educational programs, you know, we often ask the kids, you know that Native Americans lived here when the first Europeans arrived, and they, of course they do. And we say, well, who were they? And they inevitably say, you know, like the Cherokee, the, the Muscogee, the Creeks, the, Creek. the Cherokee. And yeah. we have to point out, actually, there is there are prior peoples. There's an entire different society and different culture, the Mississippian and Mound Builder culture. And, you know, it's a pretty sophisticated, far-flung trade empire, a lot of, lot of commerce between the various chiefdoms, uh, which is great for a sophisticated society, but also can spell your doom if, say— Six to seven hundred Europeans show up on your doorstep with diseases you've never had and, before. And see, that's just it. The the thing that we don't think about with these Native Americans, because the popular imagination is fairly primitive peoples living in teepees wherever they're at. But these are <laughs> these are complex societies right. with with classes and chieftains and religion, and they communicate with each other across vast distances. Mm-hmm. Archaeologists have found different minerals and different artifacts from Florida in Minnesota, in what's now Minnesota, mm-hmm. and in Maine and in Texas, and, and these are huge. And vice versa. Vice versa. These are complex societies, but they have not been exposed to European diseases. Right. And when these diseases even are contracted from a single individual or from a, a large group of individuals like the DeSoto expedition was, they run rampant, and they not only decimate or obliterate the, mm-hmm. co- the cultures they come in contact with, but because of those complex trade networks, they spread widely and quickly. And it, you have to understand, this is, in the grand scheme, this is the great impact of the DeSoto expedition. It absolutely it, is. It, it's, the, it's, the, it's the death of the society. It is literally apocalyptic. We're talking yeah. Mad Max, Road Warrior, right. end of civilization. Cats and dogs living together, mass anarchy. There are no cats and dogs left to live <laughs> exactly. together. Exactly. They have it, they they have to go out in search of and find other people. But I want and we tell the kids yeah. this, imagine, you know, there's a group of 30 kids here and we'll say, "Okay, look around at all your friends and think of your families and every single person you know and imagine 9 out of every 10 people dying within 2 months." Of everyone you see, and that really has an impact on them, and obviously it had an impact on our history. Exactly. And, you know, the goal of the DeSoto expedition, once again, we're, we, this is one of those cases where we're combating, what is the old phrase, a little learning is a dangerous thing? <laughs> you know, Correct. you're supposed yeah. to drink deeply of the spring and get a lot <laughs> of learning. Uh, but people know, ah, oh, conquistadors equals guys wandering through forests looking for gold, killing people. 
And while, in a way, there's a lot of truth to that, it's much more complex because the DeSoto Expedition, quite specifically, was supposed to be founding a colony. It was supposed to be clearing land and building a town. Uh, Now, ideally, one that was near riches and things like that, because they could never shake that gold idea. But, you know, it was supposed to be colonization. And well, the, the title DeSoto has. Yeah. It's, it's, it's governor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The, the ostensible reason fails utterly. I mean, not only does he not find gold, you know, he also doesn't found a colony. And the warfare that's experienced with the DeSoto expedition is, once again, not what you might think it would be based on the popular imagination that is, that is so colored by Cortez and the Aztecs and Pizarro and the Inca. Uh, for the most part, when they go through what is now Georgia and the Carolinas and Tennessee, it's, I'm not going to say it's peaceful, but it's very much a situation where the chiefdoms, the smaller chiefdoms they're going through go, these guys are heavily armed and there's a lot of them. Let's just keep them moving. I mean, that's basically, yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, that's kind of what they were doing. And there's not really what, what you might call actual battle and full-scale martial confrontation until DeSoto gets into what is now Alabama. And that's, that's what, a year after he lands? It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because the expedition starts, they land in, in Florida, what is now the state of Florida, in 1539. And then it's throughout all of 1540, they're making that great big circuitous journey through, you know, what are now the modern states of Georgia, the Carolinas, Tennessee, and Alabama. And that's when they meet Tuscaloosa. Uh, the, the, I almost used the word the uber chief because he's, <laughs> he's an over chief. He, right. he's, he's not just in charge of one chiefdom. He's a big deal. He's an over king, as the Anglo-Saxons might say. He's in charge of several chiefdoms. Thousands and thousands of people owe their allegiance to him. He, paramount. That's right. That's the word I was yeah. for. He's a paramount chief. And... We've actually recently here at the History Center uh, just got a copy. We're so excited <laughs> oh, because you, we are such geeks. Just as a side note, when when we know there's a book or a new costume piece coming, we literally stand by the front desk <laughs> and looking out the window, <laughs> waiting for. Waiting, it's like, oh, look, it's it's three stops away. Oh my gosh, I'm it's on two Amazon. stops away. It's two stops away. The driver is waving at me right now. I should go out there and get the book. And so this book <laughs> is the DeSoto Chronicles. And it's uh, edited by uh, Lawrence Clayton, Vernon Knight, and Edward Moore. But it is, in one volume, published in one volume, the three eyewitnesses to the expedition. Three guys that were actually on it. Uh, one is a gentleman of Elvas, one is uh, Rodrigo Rangel, and one is uh, Biedma. Uh, one is the king's secretary that he sent to keep track. One is DeSoto's secretary and the gentleman of Elvas, who never gave his real name, but he was a Portuguese knight, and his is the longest and most honest because he was Portuguese and he could write what he wanted about right. the Spanish. <laughs> uh, it's those three chronicles. It's their own words. It's here's what I saw. Now, of course, there's always the traditional dangers with first-person accounts, yeah. but these are at least people that were there on the ground and really— they're pretty even-handed. They don't denigrate well, the Native Americans. No, and and that and that's just it. So so these are the these are the the three sources we have right. for the entire expedition right. because the archaeological Nati- evidence is incredibly thin. It's thin, and um, you know the Native Americans were prehistoric, not not cavemen. Right. You know, but uh, but pre-writing. They were pre-writing. They did not keep records. So everything we know about well, we should, the we should clarify the, the Native Americans in this area. 
Because clearly the Mayans had writing. Yeah, yes, yes. So, yeah, when, when we're talking about the DeSoto expedition, right. um, they do not have a methodology that has lasted to us right. to transmit the stories of their people. And then, so, of course, their culture dies after this. Exactly. The, so, so these are just invaluable. And the fact, I think that's one of the takeaways here, the fact that they are as even-handed as they are when talking about the Native Americans. I mean, of course, they still say they're— There's not, always going to be bias. You know, but— it, it's pretty even. It, it's a pretty accurate picture, uh, and we've been digging into this, and we've just been finding things. I'm Like, I'm going to share a gem now that I found in here. So we knew that as the expedition went along that DeSoto got tribute in the form of slaves. Well, I mean, that's just there's no other word, slaves, that the, that the tribes he met would give to him as they kept moving. Now, as we've dug into this, they brought— enslaved and indentured peoples with them from Cuba to begin with, some of whom were indigenous Cubans, some were uh, African, some were mixed European African. So they came in with a body of slaves, and a lot of them were female. Because in this what, time period— It makes it sound like you're saying that females were on this expedition, why, Ken. Why, that is what it sounds like I'm saying, because they were. And, you know, and they were there to do the menial labor of the army, just like they did in Europe. These people are bringing their same support system with them that they know back in Europe. So, so first off, there was that, that they were like slaves brought with them. Then the slaves they're getting from these chiefdoms, at first glance, you might think, well, this is a pretty callous thing and, you know, symptomatic of the horrible patriarchy that even the Native Americans practice, that they're just going to give their women to these people to, to never be seen again. But you start reading these chronicles, and what, and what they say again and again, like every few pages they mention— and then the slave that we'd gotten at the last village, she and two others went out to gather wood and never came back. Because you know what they did? They went back to their village because they knew where they were and the Spaniards didn't. <laughs> and, and the you know, this is pure speculation, but, but why did those chiefs, quote, give those right. women— were they spies? Were they Ex ways to get them down the road quicker? Exactly. Knowing that they would, those women would be able to come back? Exactly. The, if you let your— reasoned imagination right. kind of kind of look at this there are a lot of interesting ways because the native americans were not idiots exactly and it's their home turf like, yeah there's a, there's another one in there uh one of the things that becomes apparent is that th they start realizing pretty early there's not really gold around here we still have folks we're going to find gold but there's not really a lot we're seeing but what they are finding are these freshwater pearls that the Native Americans have and that are in the freshwaters. And, and they're really nice, and they're big. And so they're starting to collect those. And at one of the villages they go through, uh, a woman evidently of actually some status in the village is given to the expedition. And she's got a clutch of pearls with her. And the gentleman of Elvas says that the governor, and that's DeSoto, and that the governor, to better win her over, let her keep her pearls. And then it's not in parentheses, it's in commas, because it's the way they wrote, comma, because he knew he would get them from her later. <laughs> <laughs> now, this woman was allowed to bring a servant with her, and after a few days, they'd been marching for a few days, she told the governor, ah, I must needs go into the forest to take care of womanly things, my servant needs to come with me. And DeSoto was like, oh, well, yes, of course, of course. So they go away. And the gentleman of Elvis says, and then an hour passes, and a couple more hours passes, and they and they like, okay, so they go to look for them, and of course they're gone. And they took the pearls with them, 
clearly they went they back went. to their village. And so it's kind of a cool thing that you see this, this narrative that you've been conditioned to think is being turned upside down in kind of a positive and very empowering way for the Native very. Americans. And it's not like they could go back, the, the Spaniards could not go yeah, back to, quote, go- write this wrong because they're in the middle. It's a trip to the moon, folks, okay? It's, it's, yes, exactly. It's a, it's a trip to the moon yeah. with potentially hostile peoples there and no source of supply whatsoever right. other than what you can find and what you've brought with and you, you. And you can only play They've the— They've got to keep going. Right, They've and you, gotta and you can only play the force card— so far, before it turns into an actual confrontation, and you, even if you are an arrogant conquistador, you still know that there's a limit to things. Right. Uh, and I almost said arrogant Spaniard, and I realized that we've been saying Spaniard a lot here, and I should go ahead and clarify that, yes, of course, please. the DeSoto expedition is multinational and multi-ethnic. You know, reading through the chronicles, they mention people from Portugal, people from France, people from England, people from Italy, people from Spain, people from Africa, both free and enslaved. So it's a mercenary force. It's people buying their own arms and armor, signing up, and coming for adventure no matter what country they're from. Now, they're all operating under the license of the King of Spain. Sure. But it's whoever can come and whoever and, DeSoto wants to pay. And and who knows what kind of riches they're going to find. Exactly. And even if they don't find riches, if you're, as they hoped, going to form a colony, you're going to be a even, – even the lowliest person on this expedition is going to end up being land. a grandee yeah. in the new colony. So yeah. it's, it's an investment. It's an investment yeah. in time and with your life. <laughs> with your life, exactly. And what else do you have to invest with, really? <laughs> and, you know, and some of these guys who are – you know, if you're if you're a, a like a minor noble, it's like a lot of the same things. People theoretically went on the Crusades. Yeah. You're a, a second, minor, third, fourth son, minor nobleman's son, or or just a, a peasant. Well, here's a way to get something. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's better than what you've got. <laughs> so, right. You know, and let's face it. Everyone's heard the stories. They know, you know, that Cortez toppled an empire and. De Soto himself was with Pizarro when they toppled the Inca and this riches beyond. Right. So you're like, oh, okay, this guy, De Soto, he's got a pretty good record. He, he knows what he's doing. He, know, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, he in, thinks in, in he the knows sense, what in, he's where he doing. Does. Well, in the sense that they kept expecting to eventually meet with the same sort of circumstance they met with in Central and South America. Walled cities, stone cities, hoarded precious metals. And the, the American Southeast at that time wasn't that. It's not it that. It just wasn't. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a different type of chiefdom, a different type of society, and they just couldn't get rid of Well, no, there's, if we just go a little bit further... If we go sure, towards where we found that other stuff... Exactly. Eventually, yeah. surely, it's going to work. Well, you know, it doesn't. Eventually, what you find is a six-foot, five-inch strapping specimen of humanity with a great brain named Chief Tuscaloosa <laughs> who sets a trap for you and just decimates your expedition. So let's get into that. <laughs> yes, tell me, tell me about this. It's, it, it sounds like they went from an exploratory expedition to found a colony to a survival train. To, to, to a Bataan death march. Yeah, d- yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. That's, a, that's another thing that's kind of cool. You know, we, we've read about Tuscaloosa springing an ambush on DeSoto at Mabila, but it turns out as you start reading the chronicles and you start reading the fact that some of these chroniclers actually talk to the Native Americans after the big battle of Mabila, the survivors say, oh yeah, yeah, Chief Tuscaloosa had heard of DeSoto's expedition. Once again, remember, the chieftains have excellent communication routes, and he had proactively gone out to meet them specifically to be taken hostage. I just did air quotes, everyone. Air quotes. (laughs) Air quotes hostages 
so that he could lure them to the village he wanted to that was going to be full of heavily armed warriors, trap them inside, oh, and, a and lot kill of them. them. A, a lot, lot of them. Yeah, of I mean, them. there's probably like three to 5,000 men he has waiting. So that's what he does. He, he plays DeSoto like a dime store guitar. <laughs> Tells him what he wants to hear. Oh, I know of the stuff you're seeking. Let's just go to my village of Mabila, and I will give you some slaves and food, and we'll give you guys that'll take you right where you want to go. You'll get everything you need. Uh, let me just uh, just you know make sure I can send messengers back and forth between that village and us as we're marching, just to make sure everything's ready for you. <laughs> and, and what he's doing is he's getting a body count. Here's how many soldiers they've got. Here's how many crossbows they've got, because they'd already figured out what crossbows were. Right. Here's here's how far you need to clear the trees away from our village so that they don't have a, they can't get in and get a shot at you. It works like a charm. They get to the village. Tuscaloosa goes inside. DeSoto comes inside. About half the men come inside, but the half, another half of the army, is still making their way along the trail. And that's really probably what saved them. Because if, the, if right. the entire it's, body had been together and all going in at the same time, when they shut those gates, that's it. But the only source we would have about this expedition it, it, is, and they sailed off, and we never saw them again. again. Exactly. So what happens? They go in. Uh, Tuscaloosa announces he's going into a hut to confer with some other of his men. Eventually, DeSoto and his men kind of are starting to look around, and this is what the chronicles say. They look around, they realize there's a lot of warriors here, <laughs> a lot of warriors, and they've all got bows and arrows, and there's some of them outside kind of practicing war moves, and there's just a few women. Huh. Where? wonder if this is a trap. <laughs> let's, let's head towards the gate. Let's start moving towards the gate. But first, let's get Tuscaloosa out here. So they, so they send a messenger, and Tuscaloosa says, no, I'm not coming out. And by the way, you should leave. You don't have to, but if you, but if you don't, you're going to die. And so then they send another man in to grab Tuscaloosa for, you know, hostage purposes. And... All hell breaks loose. The, you know, the, the, the ambush starts, and DeSoto is running for the gate. His men are running for the gate. They're getting cut down. All their baggage had already been brought inside, so they're trying to grab their baggage. All their food, their supplies, all their, their food, gunpowder, exactly, everything. Gunpowder, everything. And the Native Americans are just pouring the, the arrow fire and clubs. DeSoto himself is shot three times with arrows, but in non-vital parts, like in the thigh and in the, in the shoulders. But in, and he falls at one time, and, and uh, they think he's a goner, but one of his guys gets him. They make it outside. They get on their horses so they can do you know, the patented lance charges, but they shut the gate, and so they proceed to burn. You know, the, the, the Native Americans start burning their supplies and also taking out their gear and holding it over the top of the Stockade. This is this is in the chronicles that they're waving this, the the expedition's own possessions at them, like ah, I've got this, and then throwing it in a fire. <laughs> and it's like man, that is it's it's, it's the end of your expedition version of, the, of got your nose. It, yeah, exactly. Now, so there are men still inside trying to fight their way out. There's the the guys outside trying to fight their way in to, to rescue those guys. Finally, the rest of the balance of the army moves up. And they have to surround the village in squadrons and just start battering through it with, with battle axes and setting stuff on fire. And it is just carnage and conflagration. And it's estimated, I mean, no one really will ever know. But around maybe two to 3,000 of Tuscaloosa's men die. About 50 or so of the expedition men are killed outright, but another 200 or so are wounded and succumb to their wounds over the next few weeks. And... As we and said, they lose their gear. Right, so it's they've, gone. They've lost their equipment and half the force, and 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 about and, and about half their horses as well. So now, 
word spreads throughout the whole Mississippian culture that's around there that, oh, this guy that has been marching for about a year now, Tuscaloosa just showed him what was what. So maybe we all can too. So no one ever does another pitched battle like that because it was horrendous casualties for and Tuscaloosa. And Tuscaloosa died in that too. Well, they're not sure. They know that at one point, the, the Chronicles say that at one point there's a, there's a rear guard action where a bunch of warriors cluster around Tuscaloosa and they try to break out, but they don't see what happens to them. Who knows? Maybe he did. They, they did find his son, but, mm-hmm. but who knows? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But from that point on, it gets harder and harder to get guides. It gets harder and harder to get food. It gets harder and harder to know where you are. Right. And they're getting ambushed constantly. And they, they reach a certain river that they knew led to the Gulf of Mexico, and there were supposed to be supply boats waiting for them. And all the men voted to go to the supply boats, and DeSoto said no. Because he couldn't, at this point, he can't go back. Honor among these people and arrogance. Honor is so huge that DeSoto, he, he had, a, from, from the, what the Chronicles say, he had a bundle of pearls. It was probably just a staggering fortune that got left inside and burned. So he's, he's, the, the one thing of value that he did have has been lost in Mobila. So he's got, he's just, he feels, I've got to press on. And so what happened to him, Glenn? He died of dysentery, <laughs> crapping himself to death, and then they dumped his body on the Mississippi River and said, okay, now, now we're going we're home. home. Exactly. <laughs> and so they melt down all their metal gear to make nails. To build boats. To build boats to float down the Mississippi. <laughs> and, of course, all the tribes as they float down are going, oh, look, it's those guys we've heard about. Hey, their weapons are gone. Let's attack them constantly. <laughs> and so, they, you know, the fact that uh, I think it's about 50% of the men that went on the mission died. So by the time they finally get back, I mean, it's a force that's been cut in half. It hasn't, it hasn't accomplished anything they, as far as they know. Right. And, you know, it's just, a, it's just an ignominious failure. They, they arrive in rags. They're starving exactly. to death. They have nothing of value. And when, they, when some of the survivors, a big part of them get, get to Mexico City, Right as another conquistador is about to do a mission in the southeast, and he asks for, he tries to recruit from them, and they're like, "Nope, we're going to Spain." <laughs> now, of course, the diseases that have been implanted in these populations now it begins to work. Now, some of them are dormant for a while; some of them start right. becoming epidemic right at that time. But that's the problem. Some of the diseases manifest themselves instantly. Some it takes a year or two. So it's this sort of ongoing epidemic and pandemic that the, it's, the, the Mississippians are like, why? But, what it, is, but what? it is their Armageddon. But it is their Armageddon, I mean, it's, exactly. It, no, no, it absolutely it, is. But, it's, but it's, in, it's in waves, it's, it's unpredictable, but it's rampant. And because of these great trade routes and communication routes, it decimates the area. So that when people like the English start trying to colonize in the 1600s and 1700s, they're like, why look at these tracks through the forest and fields that are fallow they're it's like it was like it was prepared for us well no it's because a bunch of people just died right like like millions and and so and so you know the tent the kids talking about the cherokee and the creek those cultures right. do arise out of what is affect the post-apocalyptic remains yeah. of the mississippian cultures yeah and so the cherokee and the creek that we think of today that that we interacted with that led to the trail of tears and all that they're they're direct genetic descendants, certainly, of the Mississippian culture. They're quasi-cultural descendants of that culture, right. but there is a very distinct right. dividing line right. between 
though, well, it's not Colombian, but pre-Columbian and post-Columbian cultures right. of Native Americans in the Southeast. And that set the stage for Georgia's settlement and, right. and the English and the French and the Spanish and the Native Americans because the Spanish were still in Georgia after this Absolutely. for about 200 years. They were. There were footholds here and there. And now all of their colonies, all, the, all of their little priest outposts, what do you call those? Uh, missions. Missions, thank you. Mission. <laughs> priest outposts, yeah. Priest outposts. <laughs> they're, they're missions. <laughs> there are accounts of, you know, they're sent to, there's a couple of missions that are actually built in Georgia during the 15 and 1600s, and they tend to go off and die. Yes. Because they get killed. But, the, and, but you know what? It looks like we're like way over time. So, But that's okay because you can learn more about this very <laughs> yes! subject if you come to our family day on January 12th, 2020 from 1 to 4. We are having it on the DeSoto Expedition. DeSoto First Contact. Woo! As opposed to next generation it's, first it's contact. Kind of, exactly. It's Very, different. It's a different franchise. Different franchise. Different franchise. <laughs> exactly. All right. Bye. See y'all. Then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.